1: Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. <laughs>
2: Hi, this is Linda at the Art Box. We are at the University of Las Vegas today with a special interview. How are you, Steve?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Linda. It was a nice ride down today?
2: It was great.
0: The last day of spring, or the next day, last day of spring. Because Saturday it's going to be 90.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes, how about that?
0: Yeah, and we're, we're with Emily, and I know Emily from my work with... Modern Desert Markings. Modern Desert Markings, thank you. And I think, Emily, you went with us at least the time that I went, we went to Jean Dry Lake Bed. Correct. And you were the one who was going around Jean Dry Lake Bed, picking up everything metal. <laughs> yeah.
3: Whatever, Sounds about right. You know,
0: what others would think is trash. <laughs> yeah. You were you were thinking
3: art.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're we're in Emily's studio. Actually today we're in the metal shop and it's ultimate cool and we just want to play.
2: <laughs> With Emily Budd. Yeah. <laughs> right? Start Welding.
0: Start Welding.
2: Yeah, we do. Um uh, I loved her box of collectibles. So, Emily, let's get going here. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah. um, Well, I am an artist, a sculptor. Uh, My background is in bronze casting, so I'm very interested in foundry craft and uh, transformative processes involving recycled metal. And I have work in Modern Desert Markings that um, responds to the work of John Tong Lee um and his study for the end of the world number two that was ignited um in 1962 at Jean Dry Lake where we went with Steve wow <laughs>
2: have you always been interested in art and sculpture in particular
3: yeah um I've been an artist since birth and sculpture um, became my main focus while I was in a BFA program that's when I started bronze casting too and I um, that was in 2001 (laughs) so I've been a sculptor ever since Okay, and you have a background in paleontology as well? Correct, I actually worked in a paleo lab for a very long time, intermittently uh, volunteering with a museum that had a lab. Um, And art actually brought me to them. Um, I was working in a foundry at the time, bronze casting being very popular for preserving fossils for museums. So these paleontologists came in with a new species they had discovered and wanted us to bronze cast it. And then, you know, after geeking out for a long time and realizing how sculptural their job was, I ended up working in the lab um, with them. And um, so I, like, I would work on the dinosaur bones that were brought back from the field and um, pull them out of the, the dirt and like preserve them. Because pretty much as soon as you take a fossil, even though it's 65 million years old and has lasted a very long time, um, when you take it out of the dirt, it takes away that environment that ossified them. So um, that whole process of preservation is um, just slow and important. Imp- and and, um, yeah that's that's how I how I got interested in that. Do you want to talk about the process then? Well yeah so they they bring back a like when you find a bone in the field you have to be really careful with it so they basically just pull out the whole chunk of earth with it um, or at least like the dirt like directly um, touching the the bone or whatever fossil. they wrap that in what's called a field jacket and so um, very similar to mold making Um, and they uh, would bring that back to us we would very carefully start to remove that mold and start to remove the dirt um, just a little bit at a time and then we end up replacing the, like the, the environment that like the, the dirt created with actually like a, a series of adhesives and, and stuff like that, so. That go right on the bone? Yeah, yeah, or like soak into the marrow. Cause the marrow, you know, it's really spongy. And even though it has turned into, like it's not organic anymore, it's actually like stone. Um, uh, it's, it's like very fragile, it's fragile like glass. So that's why you have to be really careful with the preservation of them.
0: Okay, and so, i'm sure that
3: matters like where they come from in the first place these were from south dakota where i worked
0: <laughs> yeah because wow for me i just think oh they take this bone out and there it's sitting in front of me and it's this bone but i forget like you said it's wrapped in earth mm-hmm. and that's protecting it mm-hmm. so now you have to protect it mm-hmm.
3: yeah there's this whole transformation that happens over time inside the earth with the bones fossils in general, <laughs> which is another process of transformation, just like the foundry casting. So that's, um, yeah, I've always been really interested in that.
0: you want to take us back to little Emily? Was little Emily? You said at birth, so I won't totally hold you to that. So as soon as Emily could crawl, you were constructing.
3: Yeah, she was things. using scissors at two years old. That's like kind of a joke in my family. And actually, little Emily wouldn't let her mother throw away garbage. My mom, like it's still it's still a joke in the family. Um, like don't throw that away, Emily. Like don't let Emily see you throw that away. She want to make something out of it. So I would collect like paper towel rolls. Pieces of foil, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because I still do that. <laughs> That's
2: fantastic. So, were you the only artist in the family, or did you? Yeah. Go back? Really?
3: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> there were some other interests, interest and in like uh-huh. you know, like like not immediate family, but yeah, I was definitely the only artist in the family.
2: <laughs> so you came to the University of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. What in 2017? 2019.
3: 2019. mm-hmm
2: Okay. What brought you here? Where were you before that?
3: Um, well, before that, I was in the Bay Area. I um, got my MFA in um, 2018, okay. um, and I was doing some residencies after that, kind of floating around, um, but my partner actually works here in Las Vegas. She's a um, desert tortoise biologist, so she actually oh. works in desert tortoise mm-hmm. conservation. So I came here, not really thinking like for sure whether or not like we'd get to stay here together, but then UNLV hired me, so <laughs> I like to say I moved here for love and stayed for the job. <laughs>
2: That's great. So when you go out to the desert, she looks for the tortoise, yeah. and you look for the junk, right? <laughs>
3: yeah, for sure. And and depending on the projects, you know, I've, like, you know, like, consulted with her to make sure I'm not, like, doing any damage. Or <clears throat> I think it's taken for granted that the desert is, quote, empty, but, like, a lot of the life is underground, so, like, digging into anywhere could, you know, disturb uh, natural wildlife, so right, so we work together in that way.
2: <laughs> how did you get involved with the Mo- modern desert markings project?
3: Um, well, uh, there was an open call, and I applied. <laughs> um, so, but I had already been working on these ideas of um, like destruction and consumption, and um, how like the the debris of that ends up in the desert. Um, I had already been doing like a lot of like like unofficial trash cleanups in the desert or just anywhere. Anytime I would go anywhere, I would just collect the trash or even actually just like with a picker and garbage bags to like clean up. You know the area I would be visiting. And so I was also working with these themes of queer renewal, um, which came out of my project with Memorial for Queer Rhyolite. Um, And so um, these themes just kind of really seemed. To Gel with um, the call that asked artists if you wanted to respond to these works of land art. And so, thinking about the Tong Li really got me thinking about like that destruction, the land art interest in entropy, time, um, the, the, the destructive nature of society um, or colonial society. Um, yeah, so um, it just all kind of seemed to gel really well together.
2: Every time I look at your sculpture, I have to go back and look some more. Um, Steve did not notice the. Oh, oh, it's fantastic! (laughs) Steve did not notice the hands at first, and I said, "Look, there's hands reaching out of that, touching each other," and I said, "Look at the lipstick case and all of this." So, what what were the hands holding then?
3: Um, well, so since my work is so much about just like finding things, mm-hmm. pulling them out of the trash, and making molds, I don't necessarily think about like the individual meaning of every single thing oh, in that piece. Okay. It's more about like almost working with everything to a point of unrecognizability. Sure. There are, is uh, definitely a lot of like um, trash, but then there's also like shells and bones and um, uh, kind of hints towards like fossilization. Um, so uh yeah, like there i it, it kind of felt like just like rising up. was mm-hmm. like I was thinking about how a lot of the land art dug in or um disrupted the land, so I was kind of thinking about like this like future coming up out of the earth, sure, and I also think of that whole piece as kind of a, a deconstructive body in a way, so like I have the hands and the feet and the eye <laughs> um, oh, or the head sure. <laughs> so.
2: You were telling us a little earlier about how you construct your pieces with
3: molds—the lost wax process. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you tell uh, us about that? Sure. Well, it's ancient. It was. It, it was the that defines the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lost wax process, um, in a nutshell, involves making a wax copy of the sculpture you want to make. You create a refractory mold around that, so something that can hold heat. Then you put that whole thing in a kiln, the wax burns out, and then your metal gets melted and poured into that empty space that the wax left. And I've always been just really fascinated by that poetic moment of loss. Like at one point, there's actually no sculpture. Um, you just have a mold upside down in the kiln, and it, your sculpture burnt out. of it and then you're left with this cavity in the shape of what you're going to cast and so then you melt the metal using the furnace and you melt the metal in the the pot is called the crucible so um, I was sourcing recycled metal for this project um, mostly from the strip um, according to the guy I bought it from the uh, um, that that transformation or like that upgrading um, to me is really interesting. It, it, like I, the lost wax is a very particular craft with a really long history. Um, it's pretty much practiced the same, like as it was five thousand years ago. The only difference is like electricity. So I like to think of like. Making my own process with it using like trash and disposable molds and like trying trying to do it in a more sustainable way like with recycled metal instead of bronze, which has these very literally heavy implications about um, like it's so expensive, so privilege and monuments and you know establishing claim over places through the use of monuments um, so I love bronze, but <laughs> I like to, to think about ways to um, update or Redefine the lost wax process.
0: Re-college <laughs> in San Francisco. I'm really interested about that. One of the things I saw when I read that was they have a gardener in residence. Is that pretty cool or what? A gardener? A gardener in residence. Oh my
3: gosh. They also have a falconer. Oh, like, do
0: they have a yeah, falconer? Yeah, because there
3: are so many. Metal shop noise. Mm-hmm. There are so many seagulls that come and like glean the trash that it turns into so much of a problem. They actually have a guy with a hawk like come there regularly and like like scare the seagulls from oh, thinking like getting seagulls. too comfortable there, yeah, because <laughs> it's you know really close to the bay.
0: Um, so and the other thing there I was reading was archaeology of the dump. Mm-hmm. So we. <clears throat> Archaeologists, we dig, we find things. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're going to talk about the people after us. They're going to come and dig, and they're going to find things, and they're going to find our trash.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and I thought that was pretty interesting. What will they think about us? Mm-hmm. They'll think. No wonder they didn't last as long as the dinosaurs. <laughs>
3: Single-use plastics? I mean, it's the end of the world.
0: <laughs> so what did you do there?
3: Yeah, so that was in 2018. Um, I was a student art- artist in residence. Um, and I I did approach the, the dump as, like, in an archaeological, far distant future sort of way. And I was thinking about like my own counterpart maybe in the future, whether it's even human or not. But like thinking about what someone would be thinking when they're digging up these artifacts. Like um, like fossils can opalize. Like there's actually opalized like like bugs and stuff like that. So, you know, I was just kind of thinking like, what if our trash like opalizes or, or ossifies like dinosaur bones or like turns into like other kind of geologic specimens? And this, this is all very in line with, like, um, artwork involving the Anthropocene. And so it's like this geologic era of human development and um, impact in the strata um, that will be noticeable in the future. And Anthropocene, we're in right now. Mm,
0: yeah. <laughs> Some people say.
3: R.I.P. Holocene, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, so yeah, so I just, I I actually really got into the hazardous materials that people brought there. Like there's actually like a quote, hazardous materials building. And I would take my cart over there every day. What do you have today? Um, Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a lot of like house paints, um, but like a lot of like adhesives, anything that comes in a tin can at the hardware store. Um, And I was just experimenting with like anything I found in the dump that was a vessel, pouring just layers of just random things in there to see how they would like harden and imply some sort of like geologic specimen of of human interact or human action
2: so we have another artist who's a problem solver and an experimenter oh, right? you yeah. do a lot of that mm-hmm. which is which goes back to one of my theories i think a lot of artists do that because they love the
3: problem solving. Mm-hmm. For sure, creative problem solving, mm-hmm. especially in sculpture. You don't have like a, a canvas to start on or anything like that. You're just starting with empty space and materials. Right. Right.
2: <laughs> when you were young, did you do other kinds of art or did you always love to build something from the recycled
3: materials? I was like generally pretty creative, I would say. I definitely like built things. Um, I drew a lot, I played violin actually when I was young too, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> but that didn't last very long after like high school.
2: <laughs> I was interested to read about your work, Memorial for Queer Rhyolite, mm-hmm. would you like to tell us a little bit about that project?
3: Yeah, sure. That. Happened very organically, and you know, I it was right after I landed in Las Vegas, and my partner was actually doing desert tortoise surveys out in Beatty, Nevada, and. Um, she was like, there's this really cool ghost town there. You should look it up and, like, come visit. And I looked it up and happened to see that there was, like, a, what I felt to be a very important piece of queer history mm-hmm. that had happened there. Um, but I noticed it was not mentioned in any of, like, the official histories of rhyolite or... Um, you know, like the Rhyolite being like a boomtown, mining town in the early 1900s, and it was very short-lived. But like all the history about it really focuses on like that Wild West, like settlers and um, bar brawls, and like just this like hyper-masculinity that's surrounded with like taking over the land and making all this money from the gold you're finding. I started digging around a little more and realized there was an archive here at UNLV that had a lot of um, information collected about the queer history that had been ignored. And so what actually happened was in the 80s, there was a a very small group of um, queer folks from... Las Vegas, Reno. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic. Also, at the time, there were a lot of like discriminatory laws against queer people. Without going into detail, um, so uh, they were literally looking for like a way around that. Like, like at the time, like you know, like uh, it, they could literally like be prosecuted or lose their job, lose their livelihood if they had been outed as queer. Um, so um, I was just kind of thinking, you know, like at the time, like there, there wasn't like this sense of home. Um, there wasn't a place where they could be safe. So they started actually looking into buying land in Nevada that they would eventually turn into what they were going to call Stonewall Park. Stonewall being named, of course, after the riots of New York um, in 1969. And their goal was to actually buy Rhyolite because it was actually for sale. And because of the history of it, it was actually still listed as an incorporated city. So it actually would have been like this really great opportunity for them to like buy the land, um, elect their own officials and like create a a safe place for gay, lesbian, trans, queer people to live in Nevada at the time. There was a lot of backlash and there was a lot of um, really not so savory, like newspaper articles about it, but they did succeed in getting like pretty widespread national like media and international media attention. Um, and so it had actually like, though it was short lived, it was kind of a big deal. Um, but yeah, it was just completely ignored. And I was just kind of thinking about like how queer people are so separated from like their ancestors, their history. A lot of stuff has been like burned or banned. I mean, there's a lot of that going on, even still. um, So like to kind of like stop and recognize like this actually could have been a queer place or it is a queer place um, because what's like who decides it's otherwise, you know? But also just to kind of point to the fact that there aren't really a lot of queer monuments. Yeah, I mean I could go on and on about this. There's so much to the story too. Um, but so I, I wanted to build a monument to them, but I also didn't want to do it in the traditional way, like, like a, a bronze statue of them or something. Um, so I was thinking of a way that would like relate more to their experience while remembering them. So my proposal was to build a monument out of sand or some kind of local material that would slowly wither away. And then inside of that monument is a very small, I call it radically small, uh, metal. Cast metal monument that says "Here lie dreams of Stonewall Park, a safe and peaceful place." That was actually a quote I took from the archive of, of, of their writing and stuff. They had a lot of writing um, that they uh, that they were working on. Without being too like you know like colonialist or like establishing any, I didn't want it to like like read in that same kind of language. So the tiny monument will be left behind, like geologically, like a a reminder for the future that at one point there were dreams of a queer future here. And then the idea of the temporary monument kind of feeds into some other things I work with in terms of like temporality and. Um, impermanence, and just like like the fact that like when it does dissolve, that creates another opportunity to memorialize it again or differently, among you know whatever circumstances it's appropriate at the time. But I will say, I ended up using some reclaimed, or I guess like reclaimed, but uh, mine tailings that I found in the area. There's a lot of mining, a lot of disturbed lands because of it. Um, so I found some mine tailings, which is like the um, extra stuff left over after mining. And just started kind of, I did a little experiment with it. And I was like, oh, okay, that sticks. <laughs> and it's still there three years later. <laughs> so it, like when I was building it, I was like, I don't know, maybe it'll last the weekend. <laughs> Um, that would still be really beautiful, but yeah, it's it's still there.
0: Yes, I remember it's still really there.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, last time I visited was in January, and it's it, it started out as a column with the shape of like a kind of a generic house shape on top to kind of represent this home. Yeah, now it's like it's actually kind of like carved and sculpted by the wind, and it looks really beautiful actually. So, and it looks like it's going to still last a while still. So. Yeah, I, I feel like it just wanted it, it. Like it, it told me it needed some time there. You know, <laughs> it decided that it was out of my hands. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it can continue to be art for a very long time mm-hmm. That's as fantastic. as it molds itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember it, mm-hmm. and little did I know I'd be meeting the artist.
2: <laughs> Pretty fantastic, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. and the, the whole Stonewall thing—I—I I, I had no idea about Stonewall, mm-hmm. and that kind of pushed Pride. I think mm-hmm. it happened in June. Then is why we have Pride in June.
3: Uh, y- yeah, I should know that for sure. But you're probably right. Yeah, there. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an uprising and a, a, a protest against like bar raids with the cops and. I mean, it happened here, too, when I was researching, like, you know, things going on at the time in the 80s. Like, there would, you know, be people driving by the gay bars and throw, like, a, a, what are those, like, homemade bomb or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, like, the fire department would just, like, quote, take their time getting there, and, yeah.
0: I was just blown away by you know, yeah, this by this point that people are
2: so so cruel. It's just not too. understanding. <laughs> um, so your sexual orientation has influenced your art in a big way.
3: Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's like I'm, I'm in a heteronormative world, you know, so like kind of like like not just redefining what queer even means, but like you know. Um, I feel like it's really important like, to remind people <laughs> that um, yeah, queer people are here, but we're also very separated from our history and ancestry and um, you know, I think it's really important to, to think about that.
0: <laughs> we don't think about our native people, you know, that the people here now are connected. it's just not some old some cultural site for people we don't know anymore Mm -hmm. their relatives are here now Mm -hmm. okay so for the queer history there is none well there is Mm -hmm. a little bit but not good Mm -hmm. not not well documented not loved
3: Yeah, like, how long it was, like, even considered, like, I mean, being so taboo, but, like, families being so embarrassed by, like, someone who was queer in their family, like, you know, getting rid of all of their, like, photos or evidence and that kind of thing. And then when you think about, like, yeah, like, the the AIDS epidemic and the, like, terrible crisis and, you know, just total grief and death that like the whole community suffered, you know, really kind of put a break in that line of ancestry. In that, yeah, in that line of ancestry, cause um, you know, we were kind of like separated from that because of just so much um, impact and, and lack of care put towards that.
2: And some people we've interviewed have said they feel like they were invisible. Mm-hmm. So sure have you experienced any professional setbacks because of that?
3: <sighs> Not that I'm aware of
2: <laughs> oh excellent <Okay. laughs>
3: I mean I definitely you know like the foundry realm is a very um, it's a it's a a community that's still um has a lot of like toxic masculinity racism sexism, homophobia, so like there was a there was a lot more of that when I was in the the, the foundry um but um and as an artist, I mean I don't know i I might have been edited out of something or skipped for something because of that um but as far i don't know I try not to think about that because that would like be really depressing and <laughs> make me feel like it's hopeless. <laughs>
2: Right, well, if you don't feel like you mm-hmm. experienced that, you mm-hmm. probably did not, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Yeah,
3: at least not as a professional artist. So. Talk to me about Seed Labs in Anchorage. Um, that was uh, in 2020. I um, was part of an online exhibition um, hosted by the Seed Lab at the Anchorage Museum, and it was actually about um, future, what was that even called? I don't remember. 2020 feels so far away. Future something.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, the Sea Lab was healthy communities, natural world. And, I was just and, in one uh, exhibition. In shared environment. Yep.
3: Yeah, yeah. They do a lot of projects based around like climate and community and um, that kind of thing. I had some of my quote queer artifacts in that show, um, where yeah, kind of working with like trash and 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 just really notions of humanity, uh, kind of looking at like queerness with a fossil record because that gives us futurity, you know? Like like a dinosaur bone is 65 million years old and my record will be that old someday or ours will, will. Not that I think it's going to be a fossil forever. I'll probably just melt it down eventually and turn it into another piece of art. But. <laughs> Are you talking about the climate nations?
0: Yes, climate nations. Talk about that.
3: Sure, that's actually um, a, a new but not new piece. I also started that one in 2019. And I was kind of taking advantage of like the ability to put bronze work in different climates around the U.S. So um, I made three different bronze castings. I do see this growing eventually, too, but for now it's just three. Um, And uh, one stayed here, one went to Florida, one went to Ohio. So here um, it's very arid, obviously. It's an arid climate, um, desert. Ohio is humid and temperate, and then Florida is humid and subtropical. And so I had actually noticed like before this, like traveling around that. Bronze sculpture, because I have a lot of experience with bronze sculpture, um, actually developed different colors of verdigris, which is like the, the natural green color they um, develop um, uh, with with like no sealing. What is that music coming from? <laughs>
2: That's
3: okay. I can cut. I could probably start over and make that clearer. <laughs> um, Uh, But, yeah, so bronze um, naturally develops a green color um, from the atmosphere it's in. That's why the Statue of Liberty is green, even though she's copper. Bronze is 90% copper. So...
0: Oh, is it bronze 90% copper?
3: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a little side note. Bronze and brass are both 90% copper, but the difference is bronze has tin and brass has zinc. Okay. So more science. but, uh, so yeah, so I, I had noticed that the verdigris colors on bronze sculptures, especially the ones that were actually allowed to develop that, that verdigris and not like sealed or something, um, were different colors in the West as they were um, back East. So I just kind of started thinking about that and really wanted to experiment with that. And um, so yeah, so I put... One in Florida, one in Ohio, kept one here, and that was in April of 2019. And I just pulled them all back like this past October. Um, So they were outside in all of these different locations for three and a half years, Um, and the results were very different. It's it was incredible. Um, So like the 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 one in Nevada, being the only arid one, it was a little bit of like a cooler kind of like brighter green with like some olive undertones, and then. Um, the humid climates were were both more red but you could tell they were getting green around the edges but like one was, Florida was red and Ohio was purple Um, so I was just like really, I mean I knew there would be a little bit of a difference but I really wasn't expecting it to be that much so I would love to grow that project and kind of see what what else we can find out from that
0: (laughs) yeah because if you sent one to the Antarctic what would it look like?
3: I don't know, Steve. Do you know anyone?
0: It would probably look just like it (laughs) does when you sent it, right? (laughs) Yeah. I guess. Maybe not. It just froze
3: it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so many things could impact it, like um, temperature, moisture in the air, Um, if there's any pollution nearby. I mean, I don't know. There could have been in any of those situations. So, like, who even knows in, like, microclimates, like, if I put... In Florida, for example, one on the Gulf Coast and one on the Atlantic Coast, would those be different? Yeah.
0: Boy, there's so much work to do. <laughs>
3: yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: And you're young. So much time.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to make sure they were all like the exact same bronze too. So it all had to be from the same crucible metal. So I guess there would be kind of a limit to how many I could do. Right. Cause you know, like when you melt metal at 2,000 degrees, like the alloy could change a little bit or just fluctuate a little bit.
0: Now, did you have trusty friends that you could send them to? That
3: yes. <laughs> that yes, know. and family. Yeah. Okay, you knew and nobody
0: was going to pour Coke on it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, I mean that's part of the environment, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, funny, funny side note about the one in Florida—it literally got knocked over by an alligator that broke into the yard. Oh, did it didn't really. <laughs> it has a little scar on it from that. <laughs> oh,
0: well, that's a great <laughs> after, story. Yeah, I after the, al- the
3: alligator broke into to swim in the pool, <laughs> and then um, uh, it uh, after the fact they found the bronze like kind of in the rubble of that whole thing. <laughs> Oh wow, Emily, um, you're here now at the University of Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. and you teach classes. What do you teach? Yes, I teach sculpture. I'm currently serving as area head of sculpture, um, but I teach um, everything from beginning to advanced sculpture, and I work with BFA and MFA students a lot as well.
2: Wow. You know, Steve, every time we interview somebody, I want to do something. So now I want to come and enroll in her sculpture classes. (laughs) Yeah, if you have an idea. That would be fantastic. You'd be
0: surprised the number of things she's involved in now in Mesquite.
3: It's a real artist problem, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to to curb that and make sure that like stay focused on the good stuff.
2: Oh, re- recycle art is so interesting. And I believe one of our competitions in the future may involve recycle art. So that would be Oh, what is that? Uh, oh, we have uh, different exhibitions and competitions in our gallery in Mesquite.
3: Oh, great. And
2: they're themed, and one theme might be
3: recycled art mm-hmm. in the future. Yes. So, Emily,
2: what does the future hold for you?
3: Um, well, I, m- more sculpture, I hope. <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely don't see that ending anytime soon. Um, one thing I'm really excited about recently is um, working with uh, Illuminati, which is uh, a group that I started here on campus. And we do events. The next one will be in the fall. Um, even though that seems far away, that'll be coming out faster than, than it seems. Um, but yeah, we, we do like public foundry. Um, I don't want to call it a performance, but it's like, it, I think of it as a work of art because we really engage with um, the idea that it takes community to pour, to pour metal. Um, and a lot of foundry art is very much based in like individual individualism and and, and competi- competition and who knows more than the next person and all that stuff and. So Illuminati is like a, a very much an activist um, approach against that thinking, and so um, the last one we did, we did an event um, in November. We had like over a hundred people come through. Um,
1: wow.
3: We we make a mold that everyone can touch, and so when we cast it, everyone's record is in it. And I like to think of like the whole event is like making a monument made by a group of people that establishes that we gathered together to change something, and we have a lot of prompt questions about like the future and like what you see in your future we do this um ancient form of quote fortune telling i don't like to call it that but it's like we like to think of it more of like um a practice in self-interpretation and um how you actually act towards like goals and things you want to see change in the future Um, that's so exciting (laughs) yeah please come i was going to say yeah it's right here right
2: behind that wall right there steve we have to do that
3: please do (laughs) I'll make sure you get an invite. Oh, thank you! <laughs> but it's a public event that UNLV okay. hosts. It's always the first Friday in November. It's called the UNLV Art Walk. It's completely okay. free, um, and there's like delicious food from local vendors and chefs, and um, all the the whole College of Fine Arts um, creates like this really wonderful event. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, like last year, some examples were like the um, film students actually set up like a film that people could come and like be part of like Ghostbusters or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's dancers, performances, music, it's just, it's beautiful. Oh, and then, of course, sure. we have the foundry lit up that night, too. For sure, we'll have to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we walked by this, because <laughs> I think I, I was talking to you, and Paige had promised that we would go over to Scrambled Eggs, mm-hmm. And the other, there's another gallery right around the
3: corner. Mm-hmm. Yes. So,
0: yeah, so we left you that night on that Friday night. We walked here and I was like, what's this? She said, oh, that's Emily's domain.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Me and all the other wonderful sculptors that make work here.
1: <laughs> Rumors spread around. Your night takes its time.
0: The Land Art Project. Pretty much everybody was. Boy, I really didn't like what they did. Okay, but I'm the I mean, original yeah, artist. Yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. really don't think that should ever happen. Mm-hmm. But we're here now, mm-hmm. so I'm going to participate. Because mm-hmm. I wondered about that. Because I was like, Ray, I'm not sure I want to drive to these places. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see them. And now I'm glad I did.
3: Yeah. Well, I feel like um, something really exciting and maybe a silver lining is the fact that like Nevadans for Cultural Preservation are working to put markers up, and then like hopefully in the future that would prevent some kind of like development, right? I mean, that's the ultimate goal. So you know, even though they were really destructive at the time, maybe like if they actually help prevent more destruction in the future, that actually could be good. And I also think, um you know in terms of art history and land art, um, these were lesser known works, so that was really exciting for me, um, you know, and up against spiral jetty and <laughs> sun tunnels, of course, like those are amazing works, but it tends to get a lot of the attention when you think of land art or talk about land art um, so kind of like highlighting Las Vegas' ties to those I thought was really exciting too but and yeah the preser- the preservation is um you know, hopefully really um, promising with that. Yeah. Mark Brest campaign Yes. Yes, with the um, the flowers along the edges of Las Vegas post uh, right? uh, Yes.
0: And is that his thought was that the real art is the recovering. Mm, yeah. and, and I found that interesting.
3: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about that too, with like repair and again like kind of queer renewal like i was kind of thinking of like you know the couple that was trying to establish a town in rhyolite and like like it was like this ghost town ruins like just shells of buildings and they actually wanted to like rebuild it and kind of thinking about like this like like the the idea of queer renewal and like kind of like this like queer renewal of destruction um and so that's kind of what i was thinking about when i was just like like taking a lot of care to like collect trash, put it into a sculpture together, polish it, you know, like create something new, reimagined out of it, Um, but also not be just extractive. Like the the point was to actually make that place cleaner with the sculpture, you know, like kind of filter all that trash into the sculpture. Yes, (laughs) yes.
2: And
0: that's what you did.
3: I'm just a trash queen. That was, I was kind of thinking about that same thing with the, um, the video piece that I did for the show too, because it was, I used like a the camera on my phone to look up at the trash and like kind of look at the world through like the perspective of the ground looking through trash. <laughs> oh. Um, so yeah. And like, kind of like, yeah, just like thinking about like a non-human experience and perspective and. My partner and I also talk a lot about like what the tortoises call us. <laughs> like they probably call us the noisy people or something. We were when we were collecting trash somewhere. She was like, "Oh yeah, there's a, a tortoise that lives over there. We call him Rocky. Like the scientist that like had tracked him, we call him Rocky because he lived in this like kind of a rocky like uh, up." grade um but there was like a train but he
0: doesn't know that his name is of course not
3: (laughs) no yeah but yeah it's right by a train and like that diy shooting range that's like you find a lot of those in the desert i was just thinking like gosh this poor tortoise just hearing our racket all the time (laughs) like they probably call us the noisy people or the noisy ones
0: how do you handle mistakes and how do you handle the critic in your head
3: Mm. Mm hmm Well, I honestly think mistakes, even if they're frustrating at the time, um, usually lead to something you weren't even planning in the first place. You know, it can be such a gift to like see how two things did something weird you weren't expecting. or I mean, it works with so many materials that like, and especially when you're kind of experimenting with materials, there's a lot of things you don't really know what's going to happen. But then again, like that wouldn't even necessarily be considered a mistake because the point is to find out. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes, but um, they're definitely a learning opportunity, not something I necessarily see as a bad thing. The critic in my head, you just keep working, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're doubting, you just keep working.
0: <laughs> so your critic doesn't keep you up at night. You don't have to fight to go to sleep. She's
3: tired. She needs her sleep.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, we, sure. You
3: know, I mean, any, I mean, no, I don't think any artist would say that that doesn't happen. You know, sometimes.
0: We have some artists who, who know their critic in their head. Their <laughs> critic has a name. Oh, wow. <laughs> Other interest.
3: Yeah, I like to hike a lot. Um, yeah, what else? What do I do? 45. I thrift a lot. <laughs> um, I honestly really love Lake Mead. Um, maybe, maybe for some similar reasons that you know, or things aligned with the themes we've been talking about today. But yeah, Lake Mead is just so fascinating, and it's beautiful. And like with the the sinking water and the bathtub ring, and just seeing like the new ruins in that landscape are just really fascinating to me.
0: Favorite music?
3: I don't have a favorite music. I listen to everything. (laughs) But usually, like, if it's in the studio, it's very upbeat and, like, screaming and and energetic because, like, you have your ear protection on, a whole bunch of gear. You you have to turn it up loud anyway. So, um, yeah, like, stuff that, you know just feels like hammering metal (laughs) i could see
1: that
0: so you should have a different music taste than a watercolor artist
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah that's kind of like a a synesthesia it's kind of a project there to match the music type with the artist
0: do you have a favorite artist
3: Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I love so many artists. I uh, Well, I mean, if we're thinking in terms of land art, I am very inspired by Robert Smithson and especially his writings. not Like, his writing more than his land art, maybe even. Um, although it's really hard to separate those. I really love Kelly Akashi's work. She's an L.A. artist that does um, bronze casting, of course, so I like it. Um, but she's also, like, really careful or very like intentional i should say with um the way that she uses craft and um uh, themes of time and temporality as well so i really love her work
0: do you ever dream about art i can say your art but i'll let you take that
3: wait dream about art oh i don't know i don't know if i do yeah that's i don't know
0: So if you're, because you're working on things, do you ever get up in the middle of the night and you have an epiphany and you have to get up and hurry up and write that down because you would forget it by the morning? Or you're thinking, Steve, you're old, that's why you have to do (laughs) stuff like that. I'm young, I can keep
3: I will say that I definitely take a lot of notes right before falling asleep or like kind of like reflect on some things and and, or, or like looking at pictures from the studio that day, you know, like there's something about like the separation of a picture that kind of allows you to see things a little bit better. Or maybe it's like the clarity of just the exhaustion of the day or something. Um, yeah, I think I, I have used dreams, like or imagery from dreams, that eventually became art. But I, I'm, I, I'm very, I guess in, in terms of visual art. I mean, I guess just like every dream is already visual. Art. <laughs> I've dreamed about like music and stuff, but yeah, I don't know.
0: That's right, because you were yeah. A
2: Is your family extremely proud of this little girl who collected trash (laughs) and now is a national artist and teaches at one of our major universities? I hope so. (laughs) Congratulations.
3: It's quite an honor to be interviewing you today. Oh well, thank you.
0: What's inspired you this week?
3: Ooh, what's inspired me this week? The art of war. (laughs) kind of revisiting Sun Tzu's text and thinking about how I can apply that to overcoming challenges in the studio. And like, there's some amazing lessons in the art of war. Also, I'm very much inspired by... (laughs) This live bald eagle cam that I've been watching on YouTube. Oh, I saw <laughs> that in <Yeah>. your
0: office.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh That's my gosh. fascinating, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I just I'm, I'm I love the idea of like slow watching and just watching how they build the nest. And they they had like a little bit of a heartbreak with their first round of eggs this year. And so, but now it looks like they're gonna go again it's, I don't know I'm just like I've been watching them. I actually was watching them throughout the whole time working on the, the work for modern desert markets
2: <laughs> did they have some difficulties due to all the snow
3: I it I might that. have been that yeah okay. like it, it was part of it but at one point like the eggs just didn't hatch and you could tell they just like abandoned them they were just waiting for like ravens to eat them and then oh, okay. they did and then now they're rebuilding it <laughs>
2: Oh,
3: excellent. but they did say that like they could tell like because they're watching it you know so they could tell that like the eggs weren't like viable like they had never developed so there wasn't really like it was just you know the eggs didn't work so hopefully they will now yes
0: (laughs) well fantastic Emily I still have like a million questions and the more we (laughs) talk the more more questions I would have (laughs) because I just love talking about art now Mm
3: -hmm.
0: well thank you very much
3: thank you I really appreciate your interest this has been Uh, really inspiring
2: it's been so uh inspirational for us to come
1: interview you. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.